Our scripture today is from the 16th chapter of Luke, verses 10 through 14. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Marlene. Won't you please uh, pray with me for just a moment? Father, it is an awesome thing to consider your word. And so we ask that you would help us now to be focused, to be attentive, that our, our minds and our hearts might be open to receive whatever you want to give. May your spirit be at work, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. I got my driver's license on my 16th birthday. I was growing up in Maryland at the time, and the laws in Maryland were such that you could get your learner's permit at 15 and take driver's ed. And then... On your 16th birthday, if you wanted to, you could get your driver's license. You didn't have to go before a judge. You didn't have a, a, a probationary period. You just got your license. And so my mom took the morning off work, and we went, and I got my by, Before noon, before lunch, I walked out of there, 16 years old, with my driver's license. And I tell you, I needed to have my driver's license because at that time I was working two part-time jobs. I was in school, of course. I was playing in an organized baseball league. I was uh, very active in my church. And I had a lot of places to go, a lot of things to do. And my parents were old school. And they didn't feel that they needed to rearrange their schedule in order to be my chauffeur. So a lot of times, I had to take my bike places. Or if, if my sister, my older sister, if I could beg her to give me a ride somewhere, occasionally she would do that. But mostly, I had to figure out my own way around. And so getting that driver's license was just wonderful. Having that driver's license now meant I was free and independent. Having that driver's license now meant I was entering a new chapter of my life. Having that driver's license meant I could go out on dates with girls. Having that driver's license meant that I was taking one more positive step toward adulthood. Having that driver's license meant I had to drive the family station wagon. It was an old Plymouth Fury 3. I remember it well. We had it in our family for many, many years. It was a beat-up old boat, in my opinion. But that was the car I was going to drive. My parents made it clear when I was learning how to drive. I learned how to drive in that car, and they made it clear over and over again that would be the car I would drive when I got my license. They weren't going to buy me a new car or even a used car. I had to drive that car. I had to learn how to parallel park in that thing. And so I, that's what I had. And I had to maintain it. I had to... Uh, pay for my own insurance, my own gas. My, my father was really old school. He believed that when you got new privileges, you had to also pick up new responsibilities to go with those privileges. And so, he, he, it was interesting, my dad. My dad believed his role 
was not to protect me from the realities of life, but to prepare me for the realities of life. And so he was always looking to help me learn lessons. And I couldn't stand it at the time. I saw thought of my dad as being very strict. But I'll tell you what, my dad's been dead for about 25 years. If I could today, if he was still alive, I would pick up the phone and call him and thank him for being the kind of man he was. But hey, when I was 16, I didn't feel that way. And uh, when I was driving that big old station wagon, I used to think to myself, I've got to get a better car. And I had my eye on a better car, a Chevy Camaro. <laughs> oh, that was a car worthy of me. That would be a car I'd be proud to drive. A car that girls would love for me to give them rides in. Right? That was the car. And so I began working on my dad. Every now and then, dropping subtle hints, not so subtle hints. Asking him, you know, hey, you think I can get a Camaro? Would you, would you help me buy a Camaro? I wasn't asking him to buy it outright for me. I was just asking him to loan me the money so that I could then, you know, pay him back over time. And, well, my dad just would never answer. And that was frustrating. And then finally, I can still remember the day. It was a Saturday. And I decided I was going to make an all-out offensive and really push my dad and get an answer from him. And uh, like I say, it was a Saturday morning. My dad was out in the driveway changing the oil on his car, which was a Dodge Dart, almost as bad as a station wagon. Uh, but he was under the hood doing that. And so uh, the day before, the Friday before, report cards had come out. And I'd done pretty well, so I figured I had the high ground. And so I went out. And I went out under the guise of seeing if my dad needed my help. But it was really to have a conversation about a Camaro. And I began telling him, boy, I could use a Camaro. That'd be so nice. If I could have a car like that, it would be my baby. I'd take such good care of it. Oh, can't you understand how important it is that I get a Camaro? My dad just worked under the hood, wouldn't say anything. I didn't know what he said. You know, I pointed out how friends of mine, friends who were much less virtuous than I was, had better cars than me. Why can't I have a Camaro? And then finally, my dad came out from underneath the hood of the car, and I still visualize it, see it in my mind. He was wiping his greasy hands on a rag. And he said, hey, Mark, let's go take a look at this car that you are currently driving. And we walked over to the station wagon parked right behind the Dodge Dart, and my dad pointed out the dent I'd put in the rear fender. He said, what happened here? I said, oh, well, I was in a parking lot trying to make a turn and there was a post there and I hit it. I said, this is why I need a Camaro, Dad. This big old boat is too hard to navigate through these tiny parking lots. Then he opened the door and he pointed out the trash in the front seat and in the back seat. It looked like a homeless family was living in that car. I mean, there were T-shirts and sweatshirts and remnants of fast food restaurant stops. There were empty soda cans and empty Gatorade cans. There were muddy cleats on the seat. There were there was a history textbook I thought I had lost that was just buried under all that stuff. And he said, what about this? I said, I, I, I was going to clean it up. I was going to get to it. He said, he said, three months ago, I told you it needed an oil change. Have you changed the oil yet? I said, uh, no, I, I'm going to get to that too. He pointed out a crack in the side view, driver's side Side view mirror. He said, what happened here? I said, I don't know. You know, these cars, they're falling apart. This is why I need a Camaro. Then he went out round front. He reminded me of the headlight that had been burned out for several weeks. He said, hey, have you replaced that headlight yet? And I said, no, no, I was going to stop by and get a new headlight today on my way to work. And then my father looked at me and he, he asked me a question, a question I share with you today because it was a very important question. He said, he asked this. He said, so why should I 
help you get a better car when you're not even taking care of the car you got? I hated that question. And I quickly provided my best answer. I said, well, Dad, I'm not taking care of the station wagon because it's a station wagon. It's beneath me. I deserve something better than that. My father wasn't buying it. My father said, this. he says, I'll make you a deal. He says, you spend the next year demonstrating to me that you know how to take care of this car. And then we'll start to have a conversation about whether or not I'll help you get a better car. He said, this, it won't be a Camaro, I can tell you that. You know, I didn't like that deal, but it's the only deal I got. And uh, I felt when I was 16 years old that my dad was just too strict, too hardcore. And now 40 years later, I realized how right he was. And that question he asked me, why should I help you get a better car when you're not even taking care of the car you got? What a good question. That question, by the way, points to a very important principle, a principle we're going to consider this morning, a principle that Jesus taught, a principle that if you and I will take and embed in our heart and live out in every area of our life, can make a huge difference, not only in the quality of our life here, but in our eternal destiny. Welcome back to our teaching on Jesus. We're looking at his life and his teachings, who he is, what he said, and why that matters. And we've looked at some of the stories Jesus told and some of the miracles Jesus performed. And now we're looking at some of the questions Jesus asked. And today's question comes from Luke chapter 16. Remember, when Jesus asked questions, it was always to get people to think and reflect and discover important truth. And so we're looking at a question Jesus asked. And uh, it's kind of part of a, a teaching that he gave on, uh, really on financial management. But he, but he says this in verse 10. He says, whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. But whoever is dishonest in little will also be dishonest with much. And then he says, that he, here's the question. He says, uh, if you have not been trustworthy handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true, true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? See, if that question sounds eerily similar to my father's question, it's because they're all pointing at the the same principle. The principle is this. The best indicator of how we will handle better things is how we're handling current things. The, The best indicator of how successful we will be with Better circumstances is how successful we are in our current circumstances. Now, again, in this particular passage, Jesus is focusing on finances, and that's an important truth, but this principle cuts across all the areas of our lives because it gets to our character. Our character is demonstrated in how we handle all of the opportunities, responsibilities, blessings, and circumstances that come our our way. Jesus is saying, hey, if you'll be faithful where you are, you're demonstrating that you'll be ready for better things when they come along. Now, when I was 16, I didn't understand that. Heck, when I was 16, I thought life was all about the bold promises you'll make about the future. My father says, no, no, it's how faithful you are in the present. See, faithfulness is not about making bold promises about what you'll do in the future. Faithfulness is about what you're currently doing with the promises you've already made 
in the present. Isn't that true? Let me say it again. Faithfulness is not about the bold promises you'll make about what you will do in the future. Faithfulness is all about keeping your current promises in the present. Amen? Amen? All right. See, here's the truth. God is not interested in what we would do with what we don't have. But He's very interested in what we do with what He's already trusted to us. One of the famous passages of the Scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Let's put it up here. But let's, let's, uh, let's read this passage together out loud. Now it is required of those who have been given a trust that they should prove faithful. Let's say, let's say that again. Now it is required of those that have been given a trust that they should prove faithful. Notice, prove faithful. You've got to prove that you're faithful. It's not a given. You've got to prove it. And the circumstances and the blessings and the opportunities and the challenges of life, all the stuff we've been given are an opportunity to prove that we can be trusted, that we can be faithful. God has entrusted us with so much. A good question for you and me to ask today. How am I doing with what God has entrusted to me? Think about some of the things we are entrusted with. If you're married, your marriage is a sacred trust. How you doing in the marriage? And I'm not just talking about sexual fidelity here, although that's part of it. Are you honoring your spouse? Are you respecting that person you're married to? You took the vow on your wedding day to love, honor, and cherish. Are you truly loving, honoring, and cherish? Cherishing that person you married. Men, the, the, the word husband is an interesting word. It means a gardener. And it was a, in, a, in its day, it was used to describe a special kind of gardener. A gardener who had to tend to very expensive and tender plants that could die easily if they weren't tended too carefully. Men, are you husbanding your wife? Treating her like something tender and beautiful and priceless? Wives, there's a, there's a passage in the Proverbs that says, Like a dripping ceiling on a rainy day, so is a wife who grumbles and complains. Are you encouraging your husband? Are you showing him that you're for him? Are you, are you speaking positively about him? You know, people... Sometimes in their marriages, they ask the wrong question. They ask the, they ask the question, do I feel loved by my spouse? Someone who's interested in faithfulness asks a much different question. They ask this question, does my spouse feel loved by me? How are you talking to your spouse? Are you kind, considerate, encouraging, forgiving? That's, a, that's an incredible trust, the marriage. Are you faithful there? What about your work if you have a job? Are you showing up to work on time, doing an honest day's work for an honest day's pay? Are you looking to add value? Are you going to work with a servant's heart, striving for excellence? Are you treating the boss and co-workers with respect? Are you taking the high road and refusing to gossip and complain and do office politics in the lunchroom? It's interesting. The Bible says this. It says, do your work with all your heart as though you were doing it unto the Lord. Are you doing your work as though you were doing it under the Lord? And by the way, if you're a student in school, school is your work. Are you going to school and applying yourself to your studies and your homework and your classes as unto the Lord? Are you recognizing what an incredible trust God has put upon you to give you a mind that can learn and grow and develop 
an education. Do you realize what people would pay for the kind of education we offer here for free? To those who have been given a trust is required that they should be proven faithful. Wow. What about your relationship with the Lord? Are you faithful there? James 4, 8 says this, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. In order to experience closeness with God, we've got to draw near. And that's our responsibility. The guy says, well, I don't go to church because God doesn't seem real. No, God doesn't seem real because you don't go to church. Are you studying the Scriptures diligently? Are you worshiping with God's people faithfully? Are you praying with authenticity and passion? Are you giving thanks in all circumstances? Jesus said the number one commandment, the first commandment, He said it was the greatest commandment. Now, if the Son of God comes to earth and says, here's the greatest commandment, do we want to hear it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a tough one. How are you doing on it? Are you being faithful? How about your physical body? Another gift of God. Yeah. You feeling guilty right now, anybody? I don't mean that. I, I mean, I don't mean for people to feel guilty. It was funny, after one of the services I was leaving, someone said, gosh, you're just trying to make everybody feel guilty this morning? No, I'm not. I'm inviting the Holy Spirit to convict all of us. Because, see, guilt leads to shame and condemnation. Conviction leads to new life. Repentance, change, forgiveness. Right? Now, the truth is, these physical bodies we have... They're going to decay. They're they're not with us forever. But while we've got them, are you taking care of it? It's a trust, a sacred trust. Eating right, getting some exercise, getting some rest, taking care to manage your energy. The Bible says the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. A temple, not a woodshed. A temple. It says, therefore, honor God with your body. It doesn't mean we have to spend all of our lives eating tree bark and berries. An occasional trip to Paul's Donuts is good for the body and the soul. Right? But generally, are you taking care of what God has entrusted to you? Mickey Mantle, remember Mickey Mantle, the great baseball player who abused his body in his younger days as he got older and began to feel the effects of all that abuse. In an interview, I love what he said. He said, hey, if I knew I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. Hey, your marriage, your job, your relationship with your Lord, your physical body, and money. Let's talk about money for just a second. We won't spend a lot of time here. I know people get uncomfortable when the pastor starts to talk about money. That probably says more about the people who get uncomfortable than the topic of money. Jesus said in today's scripture, you can't serve two masters. You love one and hate the other. And then notice what what it says, the Pharisees sneered at Jesus. Why did they sneer at him? The Bible says because they loved money. Here's what I've discovered. When the pastor talks about money, the people who get their panties in a bunch and get all upset and get sneery are the ones who have an issue in that area. Truth of the matter is, you can't talk about Jesus without talking about money. Do you know more than half of his parables dealt with money and possessions and how to handle it? You know the Bible says more about money and possessions and how to handle it then it says anything about prayer. More, more verses on 
money and possessions than on heaven and hell combined. It's a big deal to God. So it needs to be a big deal to us because nothing reveals the heart, the character, like how we manage the money God has entrusted to us. And here's what Jesus says. If you can't be trusted in worldly wealth to handle it wisely and well, who's going to trust you with eternal riches? Friends, hear this. Heaven is not going to be a place where we float on white fluffy clouds and play harps. In heaven, there'll be opportunities and responsibilities and projects, all kinds of great things to do. But we've got to prove ourselves faithful here so we'll be ready for the better things yet to come. That's why we teach people Financial Peace University here. That's why we tell people, live below your means. And then save 10% for the emergency fund and for the future. and Tithe 10% to show God you trust Him and love Him. We do these things to prove ourselves faithful in the little things. Because here's the truth. Either we learn to master our money, or money will master us. How are you doing in this area? And how about your time? How are you handling your time? Are you using time wisely and well? What a precious resource. Every day is a gift. Here's, here's the recipe for disaster in life. Spending major time on minor things. Do we want, if life is a game, do we really want to spend it playing trivial pursuit? John Wesley, the founder of the Methodists, used to say this. He, he used to tell his preachers, he says, do not trifle your time away. Ben Franklin, the founder, one of the founders of our great nation, used to say this. He said, do you love your life? If so, then do not squander your time, for that is what life is made of. How you doing? In your marriage, in your relationships. How are you doing in your work? How are you doing with your relationship with your Lord, with your physical body? How are you doing with your time, with your money? And finally, how are you doing with your problems and challenges and struggles? Have you ever thought of them as a gift? A gift to help you stretch and grow? See, I always tell people, you don't have a problem, you got a project. Problems are simply projects in disguise. When you turn your problems into projects, you get on the solution side. And when you get on the solution side, you start to grow and discover new things. Do, do, do you see your problems as opportunities? Do you, do you seek to honor the Lord in the midst of your dark valleys? Don't you want to be one of those persons that when you're going through hard times, people look and say, they're going through tough times, but they're, they're going through tough times a lot differently than most people I know. They've got a different attitude about them. They, they, they've got a different way of dealing with their struggles, a way that seems healthy and good. They don't grumble. They don't complain. Are you, are you turning your worries into worship? See, here's the truth, friends. All of life is a test. It's a test. The responsibilities, the blessings, the circumstances, the challenges, they're all a test of our faithfulness. And it's an opportunity to demonstrate that we're ready for the better things yet to come. God has entrusted us. And He asked the question, if you can be trusted in little things, you can be trusted in big things. But if you can't be trusted in little things, can you really be trusted in big things? If you're not faithful with what you got, will you be ready for the better things yet to come? You know, here at church, we always encourage people to trust in God. Do you trust in God? We always say, hey, you should trust in God. And that's true. But Jesus is asking a different question this morning. He's not asking, do you trust in God? He's asking this question. Should God trust you? Should God trust you to take whatever life has given you, whatever He's allowed into your life? Can God trust you to use that wisely and well? Because God is looking for children 
who will be role models of faithfulness in their current responsibilities and their everyday lives to get ready for the bigger and better things yet to come. So as we wrap up this morning and prepare to take communion, let me encourage you, see your life as a testing ground, as a training ground, as a proving ground to show yourself faithful to the Father in heaven. We know we're not saved by our works. We're saved by faith. We're saved by what Jesus did on the cross and putting our faith in His death for our sin. But faith is demonstrated through faithfulness. Are you being faithful in the little things? To show God you're ready for the bigger things? Nothing demonstrates character like faithfulness. You know, uh, Jesus tells a story about a steward who was entrusted with a certain amount of wealth by his master and the The master went away for a while, and when he came back, he asked the steward to give an account of what he did with what had been entrusted to him. And one particular steward had done really well. And remember what the master said? He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a few things. Now I'll make you ruler over much. Enter the joy of your master. This past Friday, Dave Russell passed away, 7 a.m., surrounded by his loved ones, his family. When Phyllis's wife called me and told me about it, I thought about Dave. Dave was the lay leader when I first came to this church 21 years ago. When we first got here, he used to ask me to meet him here in this church at 6 in the morning for an hour of prayer every Wednesday. He believed in the power of prayer to make a difference in the life of a church. He finally finished up his job at the FBI Academy where he'd worked for many years and had done good work there. He retired. But in retirement, he wanted to use his time well. He became a a part-time local pastor. He became the first associate pastor our church ever had. He was such a a blessing to me, a confidant, a friend, a, a mentor. Married his high school sweetheart. They had a great marriage. Lived a good, full life. Was full of joy. He was generous. He was kind and gracious. And at 7 o'clock on Friday morning, when he left this life, I could imagine him standing before his Savior and hearing Jesus say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you want that for yourself? Of all the things you could want in life, and in life after this, don't you want more than anything else to someday stand before the one who bled and died on the cross for our sin? The one who paid an incredible price for us to be forgiven and set free from bondage? Don't you want to be able to stand before the one who's entrusted us with so much? Because we're all going to stand there someday. And don't you want to hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in the little things. Now I'm going to make you ruler over much. Enter the joy of your master. I don't know exactly what heaven is like, really. The Bible gives us some pictures, some hints, but we don't know exactly. But some places the Bible describes heaven as a holy city where there are mansions and where there are streets of gold. And I can tell you this, if there are mansions in heaven, Dave Russell's living in a big one. And I can tell you this as well. If there are streets, 
of gold, then maybe there are cars in heaven. (laughs) And if there are cars in heaven, just maybe there are Camaros in heaven. And if there are Camaros in heaven, I like to think my dear departed earthly father is up there right now. He's got one picked out for me. And when I get there, I'll get to drive it if my heavenly father says it's okay. (laughs) But between that day and this day, the best I can do is try with the Spirit's help to be faithful with what has already been entrusted to me. So I invite you to do likewise.